Celebrate while the sun is shining, but take your umbrella, umbrella with you. They were the last words of that press conference from Sir Patrick Vallance. And it is, of course, almost exactly two years to the day that Boris Johnson first addressed the nation. Now, during that time, there were many of us who thought, to begin with, they didn't get it right at all. 18 million people flew into the country, none of them tested, none of them asked to quarantine. And then when we did decide to get tough, well, many of us thought the lockdowns went on far, far too long. But do you know what? Despite the scaremongering, despite all of it, what we can say is that we really are the first country to say we are ending all restrictions. We are effectively treating COVID-19 as an endemic problem, rather like seasonal flu, as opposed to it being an epidemic. Now, there are warnings, you know, Chris Whitty and Patrick Vallance both saying during that press conference, look, you know, there will be more variants, uh, there could be serious variants, um, and the fourth jab will be available for the over 75s very shortly, whatever you may think of that. I think this is a great victory. It's a great victory for a free press. And we do actually have a free press in this country. And there are people on stations like this allowed to give their point of view. And we've argued, many of us here at GB News have argued for a long time that these restrictions needed to be ended. It's also a victory for the backbench rebels in Parliament. Yes, Boris Johnson can claim credit for us being the first country to approve a vaccine and to begin a rollout, something that could not have happened had it not been for Brexit. Whether Boris Johnson can claim uh, ownership of these new freedoms, um, I'm not quite so sure. Um, it was only a few weeks ago he was talking about the Omicron emergency. I think the backbenchers made him seriously reconsider his position. Either way, I believe today is a day of celebration. Keir Starmer doesn't agree. He thinks the whole thing has happened far too quickly and without caution. And we'll see how the devolved administrations uh, act. I'm asking you, uh, and give me your reaction, is Johnson right to have done this today? I absolutely, emphatically think that he is. Well, joining me, some immediate reaction on this. Firstly, David Livermore, Professor in Medical Microbiology at the Norwich Medical School. David, good evening. Hello, good evening. Good evening. Pleasure to be with you, Nigel. Pleasure. Thank you. You've seen the press conference. You've seen what Boris Johnson, Sir Chris Whitty, Sir Patrick Vallance have had to say. I just would like to get your immediate reaction, please. Well, it's a welcome development that finally these restrictions are being brought to an end. My view is that they should have been brought to, a, brought to an end a very, very long time ago. They're moving to a sort of focused protection protection of the vulnerable. That's what those of us who signed the Great Barrington Declaration right back in uh, October of 2020 were recommending then. What can one say? Better late than never. Uh, um, we really cannot go on as we have been. Uh, You've thanked the Tory backbenchers who mm. brought uh, pressure on the government. I would thank them too. 
But I would also thank the virus, which did us a massive favour in South Africa in the tail end of last year by mutating into a milder variant, which um, clearly doesn't carry the mortality risk of earlier variants. That no, that's true. And, and, but, but when we look back, David, when we take the historical sweep and we look, and, and let's hope to goodness that was the last ever COVID press conference. I mean, everything crossed. When we look back at all of this, will we view lockdown as a success or a failure of government policy? What will be, in your opinion right now, our long-term perspective on the last two years? I believe it will be viewed as a catastrophic failure. It was not part of the pre-pandemic planning. Uh, it has cost a fortune, about uh, 400 uh, billion in debt, tax increases, inflation to pay for that. And the recent analysis by the John Hopkins University in the States suggested a minimal number of lives were saved. And that's the price also, forget the economic cost for a moment, mental health, educations, other healthcare. Vast damage has been done by something which worldwide we went into in a panic in the uh, March of 2020. Strong words there from David Livermore. Thank you very much indeed for giving us your reaction to that press conference. Let's go to Sally Cutler, um, medical microbiology at the University of East London. We've spoken before, Sally, on this programme. Uh, do you think this is too much too soon? Well... I think that the strategy is correct. I think it is time to start thinking about our life with COVID because it's not going anywhere. We do need to move on. We do need to progress. And we're now in a stronger place than we were. So I think now is the time to start thinking of this strategy. But I think that the plans are not quite fully fledged yet. So I think actually the implementation shouldn't be this Thursday, for instance. It should actually potentially have been at the end of March or possibly even Easter. And so I think basically they haven't sought it quite through yet. They don't know quite which groups they're going to allow to have access to free testing still. I think from the speeches that were given just a moment ago, it was very clear that they actually say we have to protect the vulnerable, but they haven't decided how they're going to do that. Boris Johnson earlier this afternoon was saying, yes, there'll be provision of um, free testing for the extremely vulnerable, but they haven't actually defined who those extremely vulnerable people actually are. Does it include the, the pregnant ladies? Does it include sort of the older people? And I've got a pitch invasion going on. Here. <laughs> That's all right. Um, it, it adds to the joy of live television. Sally, I mean, they are saying, of course, aren't they? I mean, one, one area they have identified today is that for the over 75s, in a couple of months' time, a fourth jab will be available. Is that welcome news, in your opinion? Yes and no. Um, I say yes because the vaccine does wane over time and this age group would have had their booster shot sort of September, October. And so their protection is now 
pretty well down at the bottom end. So basically we need to boost that up again. Um, my, my hesitation is in the fact that is the current vaccine the right one to be doing that fourth shot with? Should we actually be moving to a, a sort of polyvalent approach where we've got sort of a vaccine that's actually going to cover a number of different variants. And so I think really we need to evolve our vaccines as the virus is evolving. And so we do need to improve on what we've actually got. Obviously, it takes time to do that um, because the new variants are popping up and they have to do the adaptations. And then you have to check safety and efficacy before you can actually start rolling out the vaccine in the general population. But I think we really need to be moving towards evolving our vaccine. And then maybe we might get better durability, a better longevity of that vaccination response. Because well, I hope every so. few months... Otherwise, few otherwise months, Sally, it, otherwise it becomes the, the, like the flu jab, doesn't it? Otherwise, we're going to be told to get vaccinated every single year against COVID and against flu. Yes, well, at the moment, flu is only once a year. COVID's three times a year, four times a year. Yeah. <laughs> so I that is too much. That's not sustainable. Yeah. So yeah. we need to do better on developing okay. the vaccine. And also the vaccine hasn't really inhibited transmission. It's reduced severity. Can we improve on the vaccine? Can we actually reduce transmission a bit better as well? So that would be a goal to really look for. So I'd like to see us improving on the vaccines. Well, I think we all would. Sally, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, Boris Johnson first made these statements in the House of Commons earlier on today, half past four this afternoon. Let's just see what the response was from the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. The Prime Minister promised to present a plan for living with COVID. But all we've got today is yet more chaos and disarray. Not enough to prepare us for the new variants which may yet develop, an approach which seems to think that living with COVID means simply ignoring it. Well, there we are. That was the leader of the opposition, uh, pretty much an Eeyore today. Um, but in a parliament that these days has so little humour, so few MPs, even capable it seems, are speaking off the cuff. They normally stand there with their notes. There was one joyous intervention this afternoon, and it came from the Conservative Member of Parliament for Ashfield, Lee Anderson. Unlike the opposition, the Prime Minister has got all the big decisions right through the pandemic. But will he agree with me that we should never return to a full lockdown and any isolation should be targeted? It should be the clinically vulnerable, the elderly and the Labour front bench. <laughs> There you are. You might agree or disagree with Lee Anderson, but there was at least a bit of humour. And a bit of humour on a day that I think is one that we really should celebrate. I mean, compare this to what's going on in Canada, where over the course of the weekend, I mean, Prime Minister Trudeau has used the most extraordinary bullying methods of breaking down a peaceful trucker protest. Not a Black Lives Matter protest. Not setting fire, looting, people being shot. No, a peaceful protest threatening to take away the truckers' pets. Threatening they could even be euthanized. Freezing bank accounts. Smashing lorries of windows to get people out of their trucks. I have to say, a lot of people have written to me over the weekend to ask why the Governor-General, the Queen's representative, hasn't had a word with Trudeau. Perhaps she has. I don't actually know. All I can tell you is we are the first country 
that is out and free of this. Yes, there is a risk, and that was made clear by Whitty and Valance today and by Boris Johnson. There is a risk of new variants, but I don't see us ever locking down fully again. And my own view is we will look back on this and say we made some dreadful mistakes. But we're out of it. And actually, you know what? If we were still members of the European Union, we'd have found it very much more difficult to make that decision today. Some audience reaction from you. One viewer says, yes, Boris has got this right. Most of us aren't bothered by abiding by stupid rules. Glad to see them confined to a dustbin where they belong. Emden says, time to move on. Two years of this is long enough. Here, here. Another says, they should never have imposed this in the first place. Adam says to me, the government should keep testing free for the most vulnerable, as indicated today. So why all the hysteria? It's still in the guidance to isolate, just not legally binding. Yeah, and it's common sense, isn't it? I mean, if you've got really, really bad dose of flu, uh, you know, would you really travel on a commuted, uh, a crowded commuter train? Would you really come in to a full, busy office? I hope not. Bobby says, Boris is the only leader I trust. Well, in a moment, we will talk to somebody, a former model, who's been a very, very prominent anti-lockdown campaigner. We're going to speak to Leliana Dowding. Let's see if she, like me, is celebrating today. It's time for Talking Pints. I'm joined by Lelani Dowding. Lelani, welcome. Thank you. Cheers. Very good to see you. <laughs> Thank you. The most unusual Christian name I've ever come across. Yeah, it's actually Hawaiian. Um, my mum's from the Philippines. I don't know why I have a Hawaiian name, but it's always been wrong through school. No one can ever pronounce it. So. I bet. I, <laughs> I bet. don't get pressure. Now, you're a well-known person. You came up through modelling. You, you know, Miss Great Britain and all the other things that you did. How did, how did you get into all of that? Um, I was actually spotted. I was at university studying economics um, and I was spotted outside uh, Leicester Square Hippodrome. Gosh, it's like 26 it. years ago, I think, 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, I was 18 at the time um, and I was asked, invited to take part in the competition. I did. I won it. I was taking a year out to um, go to Miss Universe and I decided not to go back. I ended up doing page three. Um, <laughs> which, which, which now, is, I mean, you know, that was 20 odd years ago. Yes, yeah. Um, In, before before PC times, it was yeah, like a time did, of fun, it was enjoyable. And and, did you have any problem doing that? Um, no, not at all. At the time, not with economics graduates normally. No, <laughs> I hadn't even sunbathed topless on the beach at that point. Um, I didn't tell my parents. They found out when someone from my dad's bowling club called him and said, I think your daughter's in the sun. So they called me. They called me. I said yes. He's like, uh, all right, hang on a minute. Put the phone down. Um, but they, they were OK with it, I think, because they realised I wasn't going to go off the rails or anything like that and had my head screwed on. They, they were fine with it in the end. I mean, society is very different today, isn't it? We're very, very, much, we're very much more judgmental about yeah. those things. I think a lot of people would say we've moved on. Do you think it's right we've moved on from the days of page three? Um, the thing is with page three is I always felt it was, like, just silly. It was just boobs. It was fun. I mean, the amount of filth that you can see, that kids can see at the touch of a button on their phones now... That's a fair point. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's really... I think 
there's far more damaging stuff out there now and even on social media with some of the kids, you know. So um, I, I just guess it's a different so world. A Everything's a, so offensive. So is it all a bit of a double standard in some ways? I, I think so. I was actually living in Los Angeles at the time they stopped page three, so I didn't even know it was happening. happening. I came back to England, yeah. opened the paper, and I thought, oh, not there anymore. But it gave me a lot of good life lessons. You know, I learnt um, not to take things at face value. I, I don't just... Well, uh, listen to what I hear. I research it. You know, people's work. I need to see actions, not just words. And I also learned about the media and how the media can create stories. So, for example, um, I would do silly things with photographers. I'd, I'd meet them in the week. I'd pretend to be falling out of a nightclub drunk. And then he would sell the pictures at the weekend. So we were setting things up. Um, another thing, I laid by a pool reading a self-help book, which... We just got as a prop and it made a story. So I see how the media can create stories. So you take the Canada trucker protest. Yeah. And, you know, and there's some guy has a picture of somebody walking through with his face fully covered holding a Nazi flag. I mean, was it set up? You know, I don't, I just, I find it hard to believe that those things were actually genuine. All of the stuff you did, you know, Miss Great yeah. Britain, page three, gave you profile. Um, in terms of current affairs and politics, you know, you've been incredibly strong, uh, opposed to lockdown, yeah. to mandates. I mean, is this political campaigning, is this another political campaign for you or is this the first time you've involved yourself as publicly in some Well, I'm not, I never saw it as political at the time. See, um, during, I was probably a little bit nervous as well during the first couple of weeks at lockdown, mm. of lockdown, because... Which was reasonable. Yeah, people were falling... Yeah. The media had people falling over in the streets in China. But two weeks in, my friend's 94-year-old grandma got COVID. She also had dementia, and she also had cancer, and she survived. Um, and I thought, the media aren't reporting this thing. All they want to do is push fear and push fear and death, even though 99.9% .9 of people you know, we're surviving it. Um, and going back to my fiancé, when I met him five years ago, he had cancer. And when people called him up, they didn't say, oh, hi, hi, Billy, um, my mate's just died of COVID or my friend's grandma's just died or my friend's cousin's uh, workmate just died of cancer. They didn't say that. They said, look, give, gave him positive words of encouragement, told him how think alternative ways to try and make himself fit better, heal himself, put him in touch with other people that survived. So it didn't make sense that there was all this fear and no, nothing positive, like or nothing about how to um, enhance your health. And I don't just mean diet and exercise. I mean, stress causes a negative impact on your health. Well, the negativity itself. I mean, age, obviously, yeah. has a very, been a very major factor in those that have died. And, and yeah. you're right. I mean, a lot of people died with COVID. Yeah. But some did die of it, and we yeah. have to acknowledge yeah, yeah. that. Uh, weight, yeah. clearly, a very major factor um, on this. Pre-existing chest conditions, obviously. Yeah. Certainly with the earlier variants. But the vaccine came along, and we saw the graphics today right. from... So Chris Whitty, you know, he's, there he was with his charts and yeah. his graphs. And... Reminding people to wash their hands like they never did that before COVID. <laughs> well, I, actually, do you know what? Actually, I tell you what, seriously, actually, I think one thing we have learned is the importance of that. And maybe, yeah. we, and maybe we had forgotten it. So right. that's not a bad thing culturally that may come out of this. But I completely get your opposition yeah. to further lockdowns and the, to the fact they went on as long as they did. I'm with you. 
uh, when it comes to the mandates. You know, I've been absolutely appalled uh, yeah. at what's happened to our care workers, and I'm delighted that we appear to have overturned. Yes, the yeah, NHS. no, absolutely. Um, I think the Canadians, um, the truckers, I mean, to me, that's a human rights protest. Absolutely. So I'm with you on lots of this, yeah. but. When it comes to the vaccine itself, you know, you've called it a world experiment, an untested thing. I mean, you are pretty much in the anti-vax camp, aren't you? Well, OK, so I haven't had the vaccine myself. I no. won't have it. Um, I was open to it at the start. I said, if I see, you know, the long, if I see long term, it's OK. I might. But it's been two years. I haven't even caught COVID. Um, so only I'm only... Um, anti for myself. I have, I've never. My parents have had it. Mm. I didn't say anything to them about having it. You know that was their decision. Do you accept the graphs that Whitty put up tonight? And 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 by the way, yeah. When it comes and Sally Cutler made a comment later on, which which I don't think can be substantiated. At least I can't see any evidence for it. She said, "Oh well, having the vaccine, you know, makes you makes you less likely to catch it or spread it." I don't believe that for a moment. No, no. I, in fact, I've seen I've seen evidence to the contrary. Right. So I'm absolutely certain that, that having three jabs, four jabs, and goodness knows where it ends, um, doesn't stop you getting COVID, doesn't stop you spreading COVID. Right. Um, which is what, which is the main reason I'm against the mandates. Yeah. But do you not believe the data that says that if you have the if you have the vaccine and you catch COVID, you're much less likely to get seriously? Well, to be honest, because I, I do believe that. I've only really paid attention to the mandates because I, I've always been somebody that's about, you know, your free choice. And if if I've posted things that are that show like side effects or people getting ill from it or anything else to do with the vaccine or even the fact, you know, that pharmaceutical companies have, been, have paid out the largest criminal fines, all of that. So when I've posted that, it's not to say don't get it. It's to say... Just know what you're getting. Having formed consent, um, make sure, just make sure you know everything about it. Because, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, I was censored on Instagram and I've been banned on Facebook. I, 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 no, I know. And, 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 you know, some of this has been very alarming. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things I was actually censored for was talking about a $53 million lawsuit in Australia for a horse vaccine for people that were forced to give this vaccine to their horses. And it's a legitimate lawsuit happening now, and a lot of the horses died. So it wasn't even to do with the COVID vaccine. It was to do with a lawsuit for horses. And I anybody that went against World Health Organization recommendations, yeah. and, and if they persistently did this on social media, was likely to find themselves... And that's another thing. Banned. So... I, I also did it at the start. Which, by the way, I'm not approving of. <laughs> you know, no, I'm approving of a fair, yeah. reasoned debate. But that's the thing, people we having need that. People yeah. having different opinions, you know, and I'm not for incitement and I'm not for misinformation, but I am for debate and opinion, you know. Now, when it, the other big issue of recent years, it's funny, isn't it? Because 31st of January, 31st of January, 2020, at 11pm, we left the European Union. And that day was the first reported case of COVID in the right. United Kingdom. Uh, and kind of the sort of COVID kind of 
ended the Brexit wars completely, but they got on for years and years and years. But you were very much on the opposite side to me in that, weren't you? I was. A, do you know what? I was a Remainer, but after yeah. today, seeing that we're the first country in Europe, uh, in Europe, we're not in the EU, but we're in Europe, yeah. to have dropped all these restrictions actually makes me see that, you know, it is great that we can make our own decisions. And maybe I was wrong. And I, I don't mind. I'll probably be saying I'm wrong for the first time in two years, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll say I'm wrong here. I think it's a great thing that we have been able to make our own decisions. And I just hope that we never take a step back and go back into lockdown. So for all of it, for all of it, for all of the battles of the last two years, for all of the passion that you put into this, today is a good day, isn't it? Yes, it is. And we still need to look at America and Australia and try and support the people there that just want freedom and choice. What about Canada? And what Canada. A, what about New Zealand? Where they, uh, Western Australia, yeah. where they appear to have gone absolutely bonkers. Lilani, thank you very much indeed for joining thank me you. on Talking Points. Very good to see <laughs> you. And this is Pim's, by the way, not beer. Very good. <laughs> thank you for joining me. So the other piece of breaking news in the last hour or so is that Vladimir Putin has conducted a press conference where he recognises the independence of Donetsk and Luhansk. Now, why is that significant? Well, both of those provinces are there inside the Donbass region. Both of those, pro both of those provinces are in Ukraine. They're heavily contested areas. They've been heavily fought over areas. They are overwhelmingly Russian-speaking and they asked for the Russians to recognise their independence. Putin has done that. Is that a pretext? Is that a pretext for Putin putting soldiers into those two provinces? I don't know. What I do know is that the Russians have issued a significant number of passports to people in those provinces. And it could be that he makes the argument that he's had to send military assistance in to protect Russian citizens. Is this what Joe Biden meant when he talked a few weeks ago about a limited incursion? I rather thought then that it might be. Watch this space. That would be very different, of course, to the biggest conflict the world has faced since 1945, uh, which is what, rather what Boris Johnson was saying, and indeed the US um, State Department have been saying, will just simply have to see. But that is the news today. I can't pretend that it's uh, particularly good or joyous news. Uh, but maybe if, if troops, Russian troops, are to go into the Ukraine, I think it's pretty clear where they're going to go. I don't see, I still don't see an all-out assault on Kiev. Now, we've got time for a couple of last questions before we head off this evening. It is time now for Barrage the Farage. So let's see what you've sent in to me today. Malcolm asks me, how much are Russia and China hand in glove with the situation in the Ukraine? One of the most distressing things about this is that actually China and Russia are getting closer. They're linking hands, even though in trade terms, uh, China uh, is having Russia over in many ways, although they're still buying some of their gas. But I, I just think, I just think our lack of flexibility on this NATO question, which regular viewers to the programme know, I think we should just say Ukraine is not joining NATO. We have no strategic interest in doing that. We'll defend NATO as an ally, but not uh, as... And, and, and we'll give them assistance, but we're not going to have it in NATO. And that's driven Russia and China closer, which is very bad news. 
Colin asks, should England get a vote on independence from Scotland and Wales? <laughs> no, I don't think we should. I know a lot of London cabbies now think we should. They're tired of throwing lots of money over Hadrian's Wall as they see it. I don't think we can do that. Let's have a go at one last question. Here we go. One viewer asks, would you consider forming a dream team with Lord Frost to give us the true Brexit and independence that we voted for? I have to say, I think Lord Frost has, has done brilliantly uh, a piece that he wrote in the Telegraph over the weekend. And whether it's on, you know, lockdowns, whether it's on free markets, whether it's on the independence of the individual, whether it's on finishing Brexit properly, which Boris doesn't appear to be interested in in any way at all, uh, I would work with Lord Frost in any capacity because he's a true believer in Brexit. Is the Prime Minister? That really is the question, I guess.